boy, I have really enjoyed um, being a part of this this morning. I, I hope it's been a blessing to you as well. Um, this week, we're talking about the name of Jesus, and it's really a title, although we use it as a name today, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And I, I kind of made a joke a couple weeks ago and earlier this morning that you might be tempted to even think that it was his last name, but it that he was born to uh, Joseph and Mary Christ, and then he becomes Jesus Christ. But that's not the case. That's how names work today, but it's not how they worked uh, in the time of Jesus in the first century world. Uh, your name was often uh, based on your occupation or where you were from, or perhaps your father's name. So you have Saul of Tarsus, and you have James and John, sons of Zebedee, and uh, different designators that let people know who you were. You might have Simon the Sorcerer. He was known by his occupation. Uh, but all these different people and all these different names uh, are not like we have today. Uh, Jesus has important names. And we've been talking about that for the last several weeks. And one of the names we talked about is the name Jesus itself means God saves or God is salvation or Yahweh is salvation. Uh, the name Emmanuel, which is also given to Jesus in the early birth stories, is God with us. And that really is the story of Christmas, the story of uh, Jesus being incarnated, leaving heaven to walk here as a fully divine, fully human person, as a man, and having to learn as a baby how to walk and to talk and to suffer through the things of this world and to deal with temptations in the way that you and I do, on a regular basis. That is the story of the kingdom of God breaking into this world through a manger. Now, it's unlikely that it happened during the winter season in Jerusalem or Bethlehem or Israel, or that any of the things that you read about in the, the gospel birth narratives happen in December, uh, but it's when the world celebrates it. And we want to come beside the world and recognize the incredible uh, truth that Jesus was God's son and that he was born to this world and that he makes a difference. We proclaim that every week, but in a special way this week. You know, the reality is that Jesus wasn't bringing an entirely new thing into the world. At the very beginning, Adam and Eve were given a job in Eden. And I think it would be tempting for us to imagine that Adam and Eve's job was to just eat fruit that they were supposed to eat and stay away from the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat. So that the whole thing would have been just kind of a, a, a fruitinarian kind of experience that you can have all the fruit you want and just kind of hang out doing whatever you want for the rest of your time. But that doesn't appear to be the case. In Genesis 2, uh, it says the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. We haven't got to the curse yet where it requires toil to work the ground, but working the ground is still a job. It's still work. It's still something that needs to be done and that has to be taken care of. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. 
So Adam, even this early on, becomes one of the world's first zoologists and biologists and botanists responsible for naming all the different creatures of the world. And we don't know what language Adam spoke. Other, we know it couldn't have been English. English is a much younger language than the age of the earth. Um, but he gave them names. Most of those names probably lost to history, but he names the animals each by their, their kind because he's in charge. He has a job to take care of the garden, to take care of and oversee the animals. And he gives them names. And the one who has naming rights is the boss. That's just part of the way the world works. If you're in charge of naming something, you have authority over it. If you have responsibility to tend and take care of something and make sure that it's okay, you're in charge. I remember as a kid, uh, it was always good to be in charge. You always wanted to be the one who had the authority and the power to get what you wanted and make others bend to your will. At some point, as an adult, you realize it's not always fun to be the one in charge. It's not always fun to be the one with the responsibility and the accountability that others look to that has to worry about things. Uh, it's not always the ride in the park or the Garden of Eden, if you will, uh, but I thought it was as a kid. And Adam and Eve probably knew some element of that responsibility. They had jobs in Eden. They were in charge. God designed humans to rule over his creation, the animals, the plants, to make sure that it was cared for. They had responsibility. And after the fall, while humans were certainly separated from God and their job got harder, especially with uh, Eve and, and being fruitful and multiplying the earth, the toil that comes from labor, uh, and for Adam, the toil that comes from uh, working the field and producing something to eat and taking care of things, it all got more difficult, but the job didn't go away. It just got harder. The job wasn't reduced. In fact, at some level, it was probably increased. They had responsibilities to take care of the world. God put humans here to be in charge of this place that he created for us so we could have a relationship with him, but it's designed for us to be in a, a leadership position here in the world. Jesus was born into a very similar job description. Jesus was born not just into his name, Jesus, which means God saves, not just into his name, Emmanuel, which means that God is with us, and God is with us today in the form of the Spirit, and in Jesus's ministry in life, in the form of a little baby who became a man and a rabbi, and who taught people about who God was, to where he could say to the apostles, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What more could you want? And, and so that's Jesus's name. But it's not his job description. His job description is in the titles that he's given. One of the titles he's given is Messiah. Messiah is the Hebrew word that means anointed one. At times he's called the anointed one of David, which is a way of saying that he is the anticipated king that is going to come and bring all of Israel back together and bring them to a new era of glory. They expected a king. And so when you hear Jesus called Messiah, what they're saying is, Jesus, we believe that you are the Hebrew king that we've been waiting for. And the Greek word that that Messiah is translated into is Christ. And it means the anointed one, the king. 
the anointed one who we've been waiting for that God will choose and people will recognize who has the authority of being the king that we have been waiting for. And so anytime you hear those two titles that are often given to Jesus, Messiah and Christ, what you are hearing is the languages of the Bible saying King Jesus, King Jesus. He is the king. And so as early as the Gospels start talking about the expectations that he is the Messiah to come, uh, which happens as early as the choosing of the apostles, that one of them makes the claim, we have found the Messiah. What he means is not what we often think of, the one who is going to give his life on a cross to save us from our sins. What that apostle meant when he said that was we have found the king we've been waiting for the king that we have been praying for. And they followed him because they had that expectation. Uh, In fact, it was uh, Andrew who went to Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah that is the Christ. And in John 1, that's how the text reads, uh, that it's making clear in both languages, the Hebrew and the Greek, that they're the same word. We have found the Messiah that is the Christ. We have found the king And in the other language, of course, you know I'm talking about how he's the king. That's often lost on us because we fail to think about how it means a claim to royalty, a claim to be God's chosen leader of his people. The title is given in Revelation 17 and verse 14 when the lamb has been placed on the throne. It says that they, talking about those who are in opposition to God and his people, they will wage war against the lamb, but the lamb which is Jesus, will triumph over them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. In Revelation, there's this incredible picture that Jesus, who is the lamb who was slain, is not only the king of the Jews. He is not only the king of Israel, the Messiah that they'd been waiting for, the one that in Greek they called Christ, the one that they had been anticipating would arrive and set up this kingdom that they had desired for so many centuries. When they said that Jesus is king, he wasn't just king over those people. He was king over all kings. He was Lord over all lords. He was the authority that was over all other authorities. And with him, In that place of authority and honor and power are those who are his called, chosen, and faithful followers. So we begin to see that the power and authority of Jesus is now given to us who claim him as our king. In Matthew 28, Jesus is giving the great commission to the apostles. And Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus says, the authority has been given to me, therefore you go. As a result of my authority, I'm sending you. And the idea is that he sends us with his authority going with us. We don't go alone. He goes on and he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Many of you who know Shirley Adams well know that this is underlined in her Bible because it's a promise made personally to her that Jesus will go with her always. Surely I will go with you always. 
But I think with a little extra attention to the spelling, we know that the promise is not just for her, but it's for all of us and each of us, that we have the authority of Jesus going with us as we do his work in the world. Uh, In Ephesians 2, Paul talks about it in, in similar ways. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You used to be dead in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, then the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So Paul paints this very vivid image of what Christians used to be before they became followers of Jesus, and it's not good. We used to be full of sin, full of evil desires, full and of all kinds of bad things that made us deserving of God's, of God's wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Used to be dead, but now you're alive Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And I'll tell you that what's being described here as happening already is something I don't fully understand. But what it's saying is that God has already raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. I'm telling you right now, I'm sitting here in my home in Yukon, Oklahoma, but as someone who is in Jesus Christ, I I am already in some way seated with Jesus in the heavenly realms. While in my physical body, I am also existing in some way, according to Paul's understanding of the gospel, with Jesus seated with him. And if you know anything about seating assignments in heaven, you know that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, and that Jesus is in this place of incredible honor and authority and power. And for those of us who are in Jesus Christ, we are in some way already in that kind of place of authority and power and honor as well. Of course, there's ways that we're going to have to wait for that to become fully to fruition, But we already know that as the kingdom of God breaks into this world, that we are given special responsibility and authority as the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve, and as the ones who claim Jesus as our Christ. In Romans, Paul writes later in his ministry about it, and he says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. We don't live in in a country that has a royal family, uh, that, that we really appreciate this, but if you lived in a world that has a royal family, there's really just two types of people. There's those who are royals, and there's those who are servants. Those who are royals have special honor and privileges and authorities and responsibilities to lead when they're good royals, I guess, uh, over the people in the country to bring about the desire of, of the kings. The servants just get told what to do and obey. 
And all too often as Christians, we think of ourselves as servants and we miss that we have been adopted to sonship and adopted to be children and daughters of the king, of the creator, of God. And so it goes on and it says, by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Now, if we translate the word Christ, it then reads, now, if we are children, then we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with the king, co-heirs with the anointed one. We are alongside the chosen anointed one of David, the Christ, the king of God's people, the king of kings and lord of lords. And if we share in his sufferings, then we share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits, the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. In the very beginning, God placed over the creation a man and woman who had special responsibilities and authority to rule over it and to order it and to make it to work the way God desired for it to work. In Romans, Paul tells us the creation is now waiting for the sons of Adam and daughters of Eve for those who are co-heirs with the King of God to step up and to lead, to step up and reveal God's glory to the creation. For the creation was once subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. There's this expectation in the creation, as Paul is writing, that when you and I, the children of God, show up and bring the kingdom with us as the co-heirs of the king ourselves, seated with Jesus in the heavenly realms, that it's going to make an earthly and physical and very real difference in this world. All too often, we get this idea that Christianity is about not doing wrong things and about being generous. But when we look at what Jesus's job description is, it's to be the king of this world. And when we look at what the followers of Jesus are called to do, what we see is that we've got work to do. That Adam and Eve weren't just there to enjoy the fruit. They had jobs. That Jesus wasn't just here to give teachings, that he had work to do and authority to establish, and that he passes it on to those who are his followers. We've got the same job description, really, that Adam and Eve had. We've got the same job description that Jesus had. To be the anointed and chosen rulers that bring God's will into this world. We are called to do what humans have always been created to do, which is to take care of this world on God's behalf. See, God's will is done and resist anything that is opposed to God's will, to take care of the creation itself, that we have a job to still take care of the world, the, the world with, with its trees and with its streams and rivers and lakes, but also the world that includes the humans who exist in it, especially those who are widows and orphans, those who have less power and influence, 
those who are strangers and foreigners who are among us, God calls us as his rulers in this place to rule with his good will and to see things through his eyes and to make this world look more like he wants it to be and has always wanted it to be. So we need to run things here the way Jesus would run them with the authority that Jesus gives us. It's no surprise then that when you go through the parables of Jesus, that a lot of them start with there once was a king or a master who left for a time. And while he was away, he gave his servants this responsibility or that resource or these talents or all kinds of different things. And then he left to see how they would run things while he was away. He leaves them in charge. Jesus is the master who goes away and is waiting to see how we're going to run things while he's away, and we are in charge of the world that he's left us. We are the servants who are supposed to be making this world look like our king wants it to look. We're not just the ones who have to suffer and endure, who abstain from doing things we ought not do. We're the people who are supposed to be in the shaping business, the making business, the forming and changing. We're leaders. We're called to be leaders in our world, making it look more like God wants it to look. If you've ever thought to yourself that the Christian life is boring and it's not about doing active stuff, you're not paying attention. Because you're in charge, and if you think it's boring, you've given away your responsibility to someone else. Last week, we talked about living as the people who follow the way, the truth, and the life. The way is always going to involve a certain element of humility. This doesn't mean that we're supposed to be oppressors that take people who don't want the way of God and that we force it on them in a way that is cruel or hard. That's not the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus demonstrates a way of going to the cross with humility, but he is a world changer. He is someone who is deeply invested in transforming his world to look more like the kingdom of God, and he calls us to, with humility, Claim that authority and power as people who continue to do that work today. That life of humility cannot be confused with weakness or disinterest or disengagement or a lack of influence or a lack of authority in our world. Because to claim any of those things is to deny what Jesus intends to give us, which is a call to be the co-heirs of the king, already seated in some way, with Jesus in the heavenly realms, beginning to bring this world into agreement with God's will. I think it's important that if we claim the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus the King, that we call ourselves Christians. Christians, we often say, means that we are ones who are like Christ. But if you translate it, it's ones who are kingly ones who are queenly, ones who are royals in the kingdom and seek to bring God's will into this world. We have his authority. It's just like he tells the apostles at the Great Commission, surely I go with you. And we don't become great because we're great in and of ourselves. We become great because Jesus goes with us. We learn all through the book of Acts and later that he does that in the form of his spirit that dwells in those who are baptized into his body, into Jesus himself. 
we become anointed ones, sons of Adam, daughters of Eve, ones like the king, co-heirs with Christ, kings and queens hearing this word today, called to live lives worthy of the one given all power and authority who he's calling to make a difference in the world. When Jesus was born in the manger, he immediately started making a difference in the world. This week, as we celebrate that life well lived, a death even more powerfully given, and a, a new resurrected life that changes who's in charge of this entire creation, as we celebrate that, I hope that we remember that it's not just about faith. It's also about works. Because to those who have been given great responsibility and power, much is expected. And Jesus has given us a lot of responsibility and power. And certainly of us, much is expected. Because we are the co-heirs of the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Christ, the King of Kings. I hope you all are, are blessed during this unusual season I hope you've been able to spend extra time with your family at home this year and that the names of Jesus as we've been talking about them have been an incredible blessing to you in thinking about who is this one that we follow and whose name we claim as our own, knowing that not only do we live according to the way of the cross, but we live according to the way of the King. At this time, I want to um, let Kevin lead us in our shepherd's prayer and we'll wrap up with a couple of announcements. But uh, thank you all for being here and being part of our, our special Zoom service this morning. And thank you, Kent, and all those who lent their talents to the worship this morning. It was very uplifting at a time when we all need uplifting. Let's all pray together. Dear God, as this year winds down, we know you are very aware of how we have all been affected, how this body has been touched by circumstances and events this past year. We have had our lives disrupted, our children's routines and their schooling has been turned around. Some have suffered loss of employment and income. Dear God, we've been affected by disease, by weather, Many in our families have, within their families, even experienced death. Dear God, we ask that you would just continue to be with us as you have been through this year. We are still your body. We are still coming together. We are still worshiping you, our God. We are still united. We still love and care about each other. You have provided means for us to keep up with each other. Let us continue to do that. Lord, we pray a special prayer for the family of our sister, Catherine Davis, who now 
enjoys being free from these worries and and these physical ailments and and the things that are affecting us we thank you that she is at home in glory with you be with her family as they have suffered loss here on this earth we also ask that you would be with our brother cd riley as he continues to struggle with various physical illnesses lord it's been a hard road for him as well and we pray for the doctors to be able to give him relief dear god for those in our midst who are suffering themselves or who have family and friends who are affected by this covid pandemic specifically god for becca olson's grandparents gary and jan alexander for becca herself lord for gina's colleague patricia for the lopez family lord for our brother bill day all of these are struggling with this pandemic disease Lord, take, take this illness from their bodies. We ask that they may all survive and regain their strength and continue on a road to normal health once again. Lord, we, as we have said before, <clears throat> with all that has gone on, our world has in many ways been turned upside down. Let us remember what your son said when he told those around him, my kingdom is not of this world. He did not say we would not be affected by the world. He did not promise that we would not suffer in the world. He reminded us and told us that if we are part of the kingdom, we will be in the end delivered from this world and then he sent his son to this earth to do just that when jesus shed his blood for us he redeemed us once again to you father and we thank you for that we ask that you would be with us through the remainder of this year. And if you bless us with another, we ask that we continue to give you the glory and to go out and take care of this world you have put us in. We ask that we may give the charge you have, take the charge you have given us seriously and influence this world in your name. Thank you for hearing our prayer, dear Lord. Thank you for this service this morning in your presence. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. Thanks, Kevin. Um, a few announcements. I, I just received a message that the funeral services or memorial services for George Dean will be held today at Oakcrest Church of Christ at 3 p.m. Uh, so be, be mindful of, of George's family. 
uh, in a special way today as they are grieving and celebrating his passing and his life. Um, there will be no Wednesday night classes for the next two weeks. So no Wednesday Zoom classes for the remainder of December. Uh, so we've got some kind of some holidays and some future planning going on. Um, I mean, I'm so distracted by little baby O'Hara. He's looking good. Um, also, we have some Christmas meals that were for the Paints and Pans, Pinks and Pancakes drive-through event uh, a week or so ago. We still have seven of those Christmas meals left, and that's I think a ham, maybe a ham, maybe a turkey. Forgot to write that down. Uh, so it's it's a, a a festive meat, and then some other pies and some other sides. And so if you or someone that you know uh, would really be able to benefit from a free Christmas meal, please get a hold of Danielle Nussbaum uh, or possibly Alton Walker, and they'll give you instructions on how to get one of those seven meals. Uh, so reach out to them. Uh, don't just go pick it up because once they're all gone, they're all gone. We won't be getting more. So be sure and coordinate with them uh, to make sure that we still have some and that they're available and get all your instructions to get all the pieces for those. And um, don't be shy about it because we don't want to have to throw any food out. And last but not least, Next Sunday, we are uh, still planning to be virtual again. I think that that will be in a Zoom room again next week. I'm not completely sure. Uh, that'll get shored up uh, as the ministers and elders meet a little bit later this week to, to kind of do some future decision-making and planning and whatever comes with that. So uh, we'll keep you posted, but be looking for those instructions in all the ways that you get instructions about how to go to church uh, when we're virtual in, uh, in this year. And I look forward to being with you all in person when we're able to and virtually when we, we do. So blessings on all of you. And you are dismissed to now unmute and visit and have fun. Dismissed.